You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. What we know changes how we think. If we're able to understand our patients' personal genetic makeup, what will happen to how we think about their treatment? Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me is Dr. Garrett Fitzgerald, Professor of Medicine and Pharmacology, Chair of the Department of Pharmacology, and Director of the Institute for Translational Medicine and Therapeutics at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Fitzgerald. Thank you. When we talk about personalizing medications according to a patient's genetic profile, I wonder where do we stand practically with the Human Genome Project, and is that our springboard for this? Well, clearly the completion of the Human Genome Project was fundamental to being able to envision this type of development in medicine. But if you like, in Churchill's phrase, this was the end of the beginning. Really, completion of the human genome, which was an iterative event as opposed to something where the curtain just fell, really opened the way for us then to try and utilize that information to determine what types of variations in genes and what genes, indeed, might be associated with various types of disease. And the technology has really been coming on in leaps and bounds to begin to permit us to ask those questions. So your audience that are familiar with the medical literature will be aware that there's been a cascade of papers really over the last six months using an approach which is called genome-wide association studies, which is, if you like, a light-touch view of variations across somebody's genetic information, trying to tie uh, gene variants to the incidence of a particular disease. And what this has coughed up already is confirmation of some hunches from less detailed studies that have been performed in the past, but quite excitingly, the discovery of some very unexpected associations between genes and and human disease. This type of technology is becoming cheaper by the day. It's becoming more sophisticated by the day. So if you like the light-touch scans that we're doing at the moment are becoming more refined as detector systems as the technology develops. So the likelihood that we're going to be able to discover even more genes associated with different types of variation of the same human disease really beckons at the moment. So we can at this point actually look at specific sequences and determine what these sequences code for, and that will predict how we express certain illnesses or respond to certain medications? It's a complex issue. As you can imagine, if you take any of the common diseases that people are concerned about, say, take high blood pressure, there could be many, many, many genes that would impinge on the likelihood that your blood pressure would be elevated. Variations in multiple genes might might be of relevance and might, taken together, contribute very substantially to the likelihood that your blood pressure would be elevated, but taken individually would have a very small contribution to make. And that's where more and more the refinement of the technologies that let us pick up the multiple complexities that are involved in genetic networks in individuals that have particular diseases is really where the game is at at the moment. And this this sort of network approach is called systems biology. And it seems like searching for several needles in in a huge haystack and then trying to figure out how they go together and influence one another. Are computers uh, very much involved in this analysis? So one convenient way to think about it is like the interstate system. They are needles in a haystack, but you can also think of them as hubs in an interstate system. You're really looking for where are the hubs or in an airline system, for example. And, And the key issue here really is 
great advances in computer power and the really burgeoning development of a discipline called bioinformatics. The ability to handle huge amounts of information, to look for patterns in that information, to pick out nodes where these pathways tend to intersect, and to then test the possibility that disruption of these nodes might have a big effect on a disease network. That's really where the game is at at the moment. From the laboratory to the, to the office, are there any current examples of medications or treatments that have been developed and are being prescribed according to these discoveries? Well, I think we're beginning to have some drugs that are, are really being developed configured on the assumption that they would work only in people with particular gene variations. There's a, a drug developed by Genentech called Herceptin that has proven to be very effective in various forms of cancer, but only in patients with particular variations in their genes. Similarly, there are refinements being based on variations in the genome leading to testing that may exclude some people from being given blood thinners or point to people who should be given much lower doses of blood thinners to avoid them having catastrophic leading complications. So we're beginning to get that type of refinement, but that really is just the beginning of the story. What we would hope would happen would be as these systems approaches to understanding both how the body works under normal circumstances and in disease begin to be increasingly refined and populated with genetic information deriving from these big studies that are being done at the moment. As these systems become refined, then I expect that we will find uh, whole new targets for developing drugs, as well as understanding how to use those drugs in a much more individualized fashion. You're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania and ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and we are discussing personalized medicine with Dr. Garrett Fitzgerald from the University of Pennsylvania. Doctor, how has uh, Big Pharma responded to, to this? Or is this just in the academic centers now? Or are we getting support from the pharmaceutical companies? Well, I think a reasonable way to describe it would be initially somewhat ambiguously. And now companies are really beginning to segregate into those that see that this is really the future opportunity. And those that still remain a little paralyzed, like deer in the headlights, stuck with an eroding business model. And if you think about other industries, the one that's perhaps most striking now is the airline industry, but it also happened with the computer industry, where there was a frame shift in terms of the business model. You know, the companies that are the big companies 10 years ago are not necessarily going to be the companies that are the big companies today. And I think looking at the pharma industry now, the business model is really prone to a real paradigm shift. And like most paradigm shifts, things begin to crumble at the edges initially in a fairly slow fashion. But it's quite possible things could really accelerate in terms of the rate of change. And if that happened, if there was a Southwest Airlines moment for the pharma industry, then you might really see a shakeout. You might see really new models of companies emerging. I think one way that could happen is I think there are two fundamental changes occurring at the moment that, that lend themselves to, to this shift towards personalization of medicine. One is a lot of the intellectual property that was jealously guarded within pharma may come into the public domain, may be accessible in a way that can be utilized by the broader community. And, and I know some companies are really thinking 
about aspects of the information that presently they control that could be amenable to this. I mean, I'll give you an example. Many companies are, are trying to develop these networks or trying to understand the systems that, that operate in common diseases. And they're all, all doing it sort of walled off from each other. It might be much more useful and beneficial to everybody, including those companies, if that sort of information was rendered pre-competitive and really shared and everybody put their information out into the public domain so that we would accelerate the rate at which we gathered information on how these systems worked. Why reinvent the wheel separately in different areas? Uh, let's work together. And the proprietary bit could then be choosing where the hubs are. You choose where you think all the roads come together in a way that you think is meaningful. And the other proprietary bit would be you build the chemicals that then interact with those hub targets. So it leaves enough for each company to have its own territory, if you will, but it accelerates the rate at which they can actually exploit the territory if, if part of that information is put into pre-competitive space. So I think that's one, if you like, large change that's beginning to occur. And the other large change is what's happening in the academic sector. So academics follow the money. They go where uh, the funding agencies point them. And the funding agencies, not just in the U.S., but, but really in the developed world, are all pointing towards what's called translational medicine. That is harvesting the value of all the investment in basic research and, and really using that to bring new drugs to people. This emphasis on translational medicine has forced academic medical centers to really integrate previously siloed skill sets in a way that is directed towards the discovery and development of new drugs. So in a sense, the cats are being, are being harnessed. That reveals a brand new domain of activity relevant to drug discovery. What an optimistic, collaborative uh, outlook that it is. It's very exciting. Instead of the competitive hiding of information, the sharing and, and also economic stimuli to uh, work together and develop these new products and systems. I think there are going to be increasingly new and shifting alliances between the academic sector, biotechnology and pharma during the course of a drug's history from its discovery through to its development and delivery into common practice. And if you could use a crystal ball to look five or ten years ahead into the practicing physician's office, what type of changes uh, would you anticipate on a very practical day-to-day, patient-to-patient basis? Well, I think one thing that's going to change radically, and of course we're used to it in our own daily lives just over the last five to ten years, is the facility and access to much more information than we can imagine in real time is going to be night and day compared to now. So the physician in her office or his office is going to have access to a wealth of information, very diversified information that they can summon up so that they and the patient can can review this information together in ways that we can barely imagine at the moment. The other side of that, of course, is that, that we're used to patients becoming much more informed now than they were when doctor knew best maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And again, that trend is going to accelerate even more. So patients are going to have their own genetic information. Patients are going to be much, much more informed, be it through their cell phones or their watches or their glasses, uh, in terms of, <laughs> of a web that is going to make what we've got access to at the moment seem, seem grindingly slow. So they will be able to really deal with information again in a way that we can barely only imagine at the moment. And of course, the great option here, or the great prospect, 
is not so much that we will be using all that information and the personalization of the drugs that we have at our disposal to treat disease, but that rather that information has really accelerated people's willingness to pursue preventative strategies much more than they do to date, and that in certain circumstances, health-preserving preventative strategies like exercise and not doing horrible things to ourselves like smoking might in certain circumstances be complemented in some individuals by the use of drugs, which, given their genetic makeup, suggests will be likely to delay the onset of diseases that otherwise they might be predisposed to. I want to thank Dr. Garrett Fitzgerald, who's been our guest. We've been discussing some breakthroughs that are occurring in helping us to treat our patients in a real personalized manner. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening.